And that birthday music means it's time to celebrate our listeners who are having a birthday today. And on May 11th, we have Floyd Wilson of Guthrie Center, Angelo Valentin, Valenti of Des Moines, Nyla Wisecup of Des Moines, Juanita Onimus of Des Moines, and Danielle Ferguson of Council Bluffs. Happy birthday, Floyd, Angelo, Nyla, Juanita, and Danielle. If today's your birthday and you did not hear your name, give us a call at area code 515-243-6833 and we'll get you on our birthday list. Now a reminder that you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service. If you're hearing us on your television on Iowa PBS and you are not a registered IRIS listener, please give us a call at area code 515-243-6833 so we can get you on our list. We need to know who is listening in order to keep our services free. Now we'll turn to today's obituaries. In today's obituary, Sharon Eastman. Sharon Eastman, 84, passed away Tuesday, May 7, 2024, in Norwalk. Visitation will be from 10 a.m. until 11.30 a.m. Monday, May 13, 2024, with a short memorial service at 11.30 at the Twig Funeral Home, Panora. Cremation will follow the service with burial of her cremains at the later date in the West Cemetery, Panora. U.S. Presidency has faced scandal before Trump, is the title of our next article in the front section of the Des Moines Register on page 6A. It's written by Dan or David M. Zimmer. Though not the first U.S. president to grapple with legal and ethical controversies, Donald Trump stands alone as the first to face criminal charges. Like Trump, Two other former presidents endured impeachment proceedings but were acquitted in the Senate and others were tied to scandals, though none faced formal charges. Bill Clinton's presidency was marked by prolonged investigations, including one over his involvement in the Whitewater real estate venture, a failed effort to develop vacation properties in Arkansas. No evidence of wrongdoing by the Clintons emerged. However, several associates were convicted of fraud charges related to Whitewater. Clinton's initial denial of an affair with Monica Lewinsky during a sexual harassment lawsuit led to his impeachment by the House in 1998. He was acquitted by the Senate. Ronald Reagan faced scrutiny during his second term over the Iran-Contra affair. The scandal involved secret arms sales facilitated by the administration to Iran, meant to secure the release of hostages in Lebanon. The scandal diverted the margins from the high-profit sales to support the Reagan-favored Contra rebels fighting in Nicaragua in violation of congressional limits. Reagan wasn't charged. However, some of his aides were convicted for deceiving Congress. Richard Nixon resigned from office amid the Watergate scandal, which involved a break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters and subsequent attempts to cover up his administration's involvement. The House Judiciary Committee charged him with obstruction of justice, abuse of power, and contempt of Congress. He was later pardoned by his successor, Gerald Ford. Warren Harding made payments to conceal extramarital affairs, had friends involved in criminal activity, and had a child born out of wedlock. Perhaps most prominently, Harding's Interior Secretary, Albert Fall, became the first former cabinet member to be incarcerated. Fall had the rights to the Teapot Dome oil fields in Wyoming transferred to the Departments of the Interior and then went about awarding exclusive contracts to private oil companies. A Senate investigation revealed that Fall had accepted favors in exchange for the drilling rights. Ulysses S. Grant's administration uncovered the whiskey ring scandal in the 18, an 1870s scheme to divert liquor taxes through off-the-books sales of illicit whiskey that involved officials from the U.S. Treasury Department. Among the key players was Grant's personal secretary, Glenn 
or General Orville E. Babcock, who was charged as a conspirator but acquitted following a staunch defense and court testimony from Grant. Grant faced criticism for his handling of the scandal and was later accused of having full involvement in the scheme. And Andrew Jackson clashed with radical Republicans in Congress for wanting to pardon Confederate leaders and prevent black people from voting after the Civil War. He ultimately faced uh, impeachment for his effort to dismiss Lincoln-appointed Secretary of War Edwin Stanton without Senate approval. Johnson's impeachment trial narrowly fell short, avoided removal from office by one vote. Nick? Northern Lights might be visible as far as South Alaska. Thanks to a heightened solar activity, the aurora Borealis could be coming to the skies above a large portion of the nation for this weekend, space, space weather forecasters said Thursday. Federal forecasters from NOAA's Space Weather Prediction Center said that during previous solar activity of this during previous solar activity of this magnitude, the aurora has been seen as low as Alabama and Northern California. Experts say the aurora might be visible Friday, Saturday, or Sunday nights. The spectacle is courtesy of a series of coronal mass ejections from the sun, which are forecast to reach the earth early this weekend and produce the geomagnetic storms that trigger auroras. A G4 severe geomagnetic storm watch is in effect for Saturday, NOAA said. This weekend's geomagnetic storm watch has been upgraded from G2 moderate to G4 severe, according to astronomer Tony Phillips, writing on spaceweather.com. Why? Because giant sunspot AR3664 keeps hurling CMEs toward Earth. Following today's X2.2 solar flare, there are now at least four storm clouds heading our way, Phillips said. The colorful aurora forms when part particles flowing from the sun get caught up in Earth's magnetic field. The particles interact with molecules from atmospheric gases to generate the famed glowing green and reddish colors of the aurora. The northern lights, also called the aurora borealis, have been appearing more frequently in the night sky over the U.S. recently. In April 2023, for example, a stunning aurora display was seen as far as excuse me, as seen as far as Arkansas in the south and Arizona in the west. So why the uptick in aurora sightings and is this expected to continue? Well, if you love the aurora, you're in luck. It as it may be coming to a sky near you more often over the next few years thanks to the solar maximum, which is expected to peak this year. There have been an increase in aurora seen in general in, on Earth, Shannon Schmoll, the director of Abrams Plantarium at Michigan State University, told USA Today last year. The sun has been more active, resulting in more solar storms that cause solar flares and coronal mass ejections. Uh, Virginia schools will again have Confederate leaders' names. A Virginia school district is poised to restore the names of Confederate leaders of to two local schools four years after the decision to change the names in the aftermath of the racial reckoning of 2020. On Friday, the Sh Shenandoah County School Board voted 5-1 to one to reverse the names of Mountain View High School and Honey Run Elementary School back to Stonewall Jackson High School and Ashby Lee Elementary School. The decision came after community members offered different arguments during the public hearing Thursday. Vice Chairman Kyle L. Gutshall was a the sole vote against the charge. Other members pointed to the board's failure to get public input years ago. This was not an innocent mistake by some inexperienced school board district. Two school board member Gloria Carlino said at a hearing, calling it a carefully 
choreographed move by the board alluding to ignore the people they represented. The name changes took effect in the 2021 after the district dropped the original names honoring Confederate military leaders Robert E. Lee, Thomas Stonewall Jackson, and Turner Ashby. In 2022, the Coalition for Better Schools, a local cons conservative group, tried unsuccessfully to change the board the names back, but the school board deadlocked in a 3-3 vote at the time. In April, the Coalition challenged the change again, stating in a letter to the Sh Shenandoah County School Board that the names honor our community's heritage and respect the wishes of the majority. We appreciate your decision to our schools and the well-being of our students, the coalition wrote. Restoring these names would demonstrate a commitment to inclusivity, respect for history, and responsiveness to community feedback. The group's leader stated Confederate Generals Jackson and Lee and Commander Ashby have historical connections to Virginia and the Commonwealth's history. Several states, federal agencies, and local lo localities remove confederate names monuments and statues after a wave of protests following the 2020 murder of george floyd a black man by a white police officer at the meeting some who opposed the measure cited black students and the state's racist past for their stance one said that even considering restoring the names is an absolute travesty and called on the board to make the right choice. My heart breaks for the children that are going to have to walk into schools named after people that wanted them and their families enslaved, she said. Another said, if you vote to restore the name Stonewall Jackson in 2024, you will be resurrecting an act in 1959 that is forever rooted in mass resistance and Jim Crow segregation. The board's decision is likely the first such restoration in the country. Guns most commonly stolen from cars. Group urges gun owners to secure their weapons. This is written by Tho Gwynn of USA Today. The rate of gun thefts from vehicles in the United States has tripled since 2013, making cars the most common source of stolen guns across the nation, according to a report. Every Town for Gun Safety found that on average at least one firearm is stolen from a car every nine minutes in the United States. The report analyzed FBI crime data from 337 cities across 44 states, covering a combined population of about 63 million people between the years 2013 and 2022. The rate of gun theft increased each year and spiked during the COVID-19 pandemic, according to the report. The sharp increase in stolen firearms from cars coincides with a rise in gun ownership in the United States and recent legislation that loosened gun restrictions in some states. One in five U.S. households purchased a gun from March of the year 2020 to March of the year 2022, according to NORC at the University of Chicago. During that period, one in 20 adults bought a gun for the first time. Last November, an NBC News national poll found that more than half of U.S. voters said they or someone in their household owned a firearm. The dangerous trend underscores the importance of safe gun storage, every town said. Guns stolen from cars often go from legal hands to the illegal market, where they are too often used to carry out other crimes, including assaults and homicides. But these thefts are preventable, as is the heartbreak and long-lasting trauma of the violence they can cause, Sarah Bird Sharps, Senior Director of Research at Everytown for Gun Safety, said in a statement. Gun owners must securely store their guns, whether in the car or in the home, to save lives. The rate of stolen guns from vehicles rose from about 21 thefts per 100,000 people in 2013 to about 63 per 100,000 in 2022, according to the report. While firearms may be stolen from homes, gun shops, or individuals, vehicles parked at residences were the largest source of stolen guns. Nearly 112,000 guns were reported stolen in 2022, 
and close to 62,000 were stolen from cars, the report found. A decade ago, the majority of gun thefts were from burglaries of a home or other structure, and roughly a quarter were from cars, the report states. Since then, the nation has seen a stark increase to over half coming from cars. In fact, the past decade's overall increase in gun thefts is driven primarily by the rise in gun thefts from cars. Moreover, the report said the increase in gun thefts from cars is likely a conservative estimate, as only about one-third of states require individuals to report lost or stolen firearms to law enforcement. Federal law does not require gun owners to report lost or stolen guns, according to the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence. Stolen guns that enter the illegal market are an appealing source of firearms for people who are legally prohibited from having guns, the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence said. The center cited an analysis of over 23,000 stolen firearms recovered between the years 2010 and 2016 that found a majority of the weapons recovered were linked to crimes, including more than 1,500 weapons linked to violent crimes such as murder, kidnapping, and armed robbery. Stolen guns have appeared in numerous criminal cases, according to Everytown Report. For instance, in July 2021, a gun stolen from an unlocked car in Riverside, Florida, was used to kill a 27-year-old U.S. Coast Guard member as she tried to stop a neighborhood car burglary. Last month, a 14-year-old boy accidentally killed his 11-year-old brother in Florida with a gun that was reported stolen. The firearm was taken from an unlocked car a few days before the incident, and the teenager found the gun in an alley. Both Every Town and the Giffords Center have said lost and stolen firearm laws can help reduce illegal gun crime. Policies that require firearms to be securely stored and mandate reporting of lost and stolen guns can reduce illegal gun movements by 46%, Every Town said in its report. Every town found that the rate of gun thefts from vehicles is nearly 18 times higher in places with weaker gun safety laws compared to states with stronger, with the strongest gun laws. Earlier this year, the group ranked all 50 states on the strength and impact of gun safety policies. According to the group's rankings, California had the strongest gun laws in the country, followed by New York, Illinois, Connecticut, and Hawaii. Arkansas, Mississippi, Idaho, Montana, and Georgia had the weakest gun laws. In many cities located in states with weak gun laws, the Everytown Report said high rates of gun ownership and laws that make it easier to carry guns in public create conditions under which gun thefts from cars may be more likely. Cities with the highest rate of gun thefts from cars in 2022 were Memphis, Tennessee, Atlanta, St. Louis, Richmond, Virginia, and San Antonio, Texas. Memphis had over 3,000 gun thefts from vehicles in 2022, while Atlanta had close to 2,500, according to the report. In contrast, some cities in states with strong gun safety laws, such as Massachusetts, New York, and New Jersey, had zero guns reported stolen from cars in 2022. To prevent theft, no matter the state law landscape, every town recommends that gun owners always lock their vehicles and store their firearms so that they are not visible to others. There are a variety of devices that make it easy to store guns securely while enabling fast access for gun owners. Every town said, including lock boxes, console or vehicle gun safes, and gun cases. Gun safes are available for every make and model of vehicle, according to the group. Every town also encourages adults to secure all guns in their homes, model responsible behavior around guns, ask about the presence of unsecured guns in other homes, recognize the role of guns in suicide, and tell others about the importance of gun, of safe gun ownership. Russia, oh, moving on to nation and world, uh, invasion in Ukraine, Russia strikes on new front. Kiev says fighting rages in Kharkin region's border areas. 
and photoed above is uh, it looks like structures and buildings and rubble with the rubble such as bricks and wood all scattered across the ground with smoke rising to the air and pictured below is some older people walking on a street using canes and such with a group of other people behind them following. Um, Russian forces launched an armored attack, ground attack, on Friday near Ukraine's second city of Kirkin in the northeast of the country and made small inroads opening a new front in a war that has long been waged in the east and south. Ukraine sent reinforcements as frightened rage, fighting raged in the border areas of the region, the defense ministry said, adding that Russia had pounded the frontier town of Vochansk with guided aerial bombs and artillery. Russia has begun a new wave of counteroffensive actions in this direction, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky told a news conference in in Keen. Now there is fierce battle in this direction. Ukraine had warned of a Russian buildup in the area, potentially signaling preparations for an offense or a ploy to divert and pin down Ukraine's overstretched and outnumbered defenders. It was unclear if Moscow would develop the attack. In its evening battlefield update, the Ukrainian general staff said for the first time that Russia was also building up forces to the north of Kharkin near the Ukrainian regions of Sumy and parts of Chernihin. Zelensky has said Russia could be preparing a big offensive push this spring or summer. Kin's forces were... Prepared to meet Friday's assault, but Moscow could send more troops to the area, he told reporters. The Ukrainian Defense Ministry said Russia launched an armored assault at around 5 p.m. In its update at 10 p.m., or excuse me, around 5 a.m., in its update around 10 p.m., the general staff said battles were continued to prevent Russian offensive efforts and advance in the, U in the Kharkin region. A senior Ukrainian military source who declined to be named said Russian forces have pushed, had pushed about half a mile inside of the Ukrainian border near Konchansk. The source said Russian forces were aimed to push Ukrainian troops as far back as six miles inside, inside Ukraine as part of an effort to create a buffer zone, but that Kin's troops were trying to hold them back. The White House said the United States had been coordinating closely with Ukraine on Russia's Kharkin offensive. It's certainly possible that the Russians are settling themselves up for the larger assault on Kirkin, White House National Security Spokesperson John Kirby told reporters. Top Ukrainian officials have repeatedly said they do not believe Russia has the force capacity available to launch a successful operation to capture the city of Kharkin, home to 1.3 million people. The general staff said battles raged for control of three frontier villages, Strilecha, Plilna, and Borisinka, that were already seen as the gray area of control. Counteroffensive measures continued in the direction of the settlements of Lipsia and Vovachansk. The enemy is using infantry and equipment it said on a telegram app. Military spokesperson Nazar Zoloshin said fighting was still raging in the evening and that the situation was dynamic. He said he believed Moscow's operation aimed to draw troops to Kirkins from the east where Russia is forcing its offensive. There was no immediate comment from Moscow. At least two civilians were killed and five were injured during heavy shelling of border settlements, said Ole 
Sinebon, governor of the Karkin region. All the enemy can do is attack in certain small groups. You can call them sabotage and resist reconnaissance groups or something else and test the positions of our military he said in Vovchansk a town with a pre-war population of 17,000 that has dwindled to a few thousand authorities said they were helping civilians evacuate from the settlement and surrounding areas due to the heavy shelling in this evening address Zelensky said his top commander Olenskandra Sersky has reported to him that heavy fighting was taking place all along more than 600-mile front line. Ukraine chased Russian troops out of most of the Kharkin region in 2022, following Russia's full-scale invasion in February of that year. But after weathering a Ukrainian counteroffensive last year, Russian forces are back on the offensive and slowly advancing to the Donetsk Donsk region that lies further south. Ukrainian concerns grew in March over the Kremlin's intentions in the Kharkin region when Russian President Vladimir Putin called for the creation of a buffer zone inside Ukrainian territory. He said that this was needed to protect Russia from shelling and border incursions. Since then, Kharkin which is particularly vulnerable because of its proximity to Russia, has been hammered by airstrikes that have damaged the region's power infrastructure. More than two years after its invasion, Russia has a battlefield momentum, and Ukraine faces shortages of manpower and stocks of artillery shells and air defenses. U.S. to provide nearly $200 million to fight bird flu. This is on page 5NN. The Biden administration said on Friday it will provide nearly $200 million to fight the spread of avian flu among dairy cows in the government's latest bid to contain outbreaks that have fueled concerns about human infections with the H5N1 virus. The virus has been detected among dairy cattle in nine states since late March. Scientists have said they believe the outbreak is more widespread based on U.S. Food and Drug Administration findings of H5N1 particles in about 20% of retail milk samples. The U.S. Department of Agriculture will make $98 million available to provide up to $28,000 per dairy farm for efforts to contain the spread of the virus between animals and humans and for testing milk and animals for the virus, the agency said Friday. USDA is doing the work to track and eliminate H5N1 in the dairy cattle herd, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack said on a call with reporters. The Department of Health and Human Services said it would provide $101 million through the FDA and U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to protect public health and the nation's food supply. The risk to the public from this outbreak remains low, Secretary Z- uh, Xavier Becerra said on the call. The money includes about $38 million through the CDC for testing efforts and supporting public health labs, $8 million for vaccines, and $3 million for wastewater surveillance. For the last 90 minutes, your readers have been Nick Herter and myself, Scott Splevic. It's been our pleasure to read for you. Now we'll take a short break to allow our next readers to get into place.
Welcome back. Your new readers are Peggy Earths and Mark Morrison. We'll continue with articles from the Des Moines Register and USA Today. And here's Peggy with our next article. All right, I'm going to start us off with some sports for today. Titled Attention for All, Reese's Celebrity Brings Spotlight to WNBA's Past and Present from Nancy Armore, who is a columnist for USA Today, and this is from Chicago. Angel Reese has earned every opportunity she's gotten. She also considers them payback. The WNBA did not begin the day Reese, Caitlin Clark, Camila Cardosa, and Cam Brink were drafted last month. The fame Reese and the other high-profile rookies have and the perks it affords them are byproducts of the nearly three decades women like Cheryl Swoops, Lisa Leslie, Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, and Reese's own coach, Teresa Weatherspoon, have put into growing interest in the league and women's basketball. When Reese goes to an event like Monday night's Met Gala, she carries all of those women with her. The people that had played before me and a lot of the great players already in the league, they deserve this, Reese said Tuesday night ahead of the Chicago Sky's home preseason game. Being able to give them the publicity because you always get to give your flowers, to, you've always got to give your flowers to the ones that came before you, they've been deserving of this for a really long time. Reese arrived in Chicago with her celebrity status on and off the court, already firmly intact. She'd won a national championship as a junior at LSU, and her taunting of Clark after the game helped send interest in the game skyrocketing. She has 3 million-plus followers on Instagram and announced her decision to turn pro in an interview with Vogue. As if any further proof of her crossover status was needed, she was only the second WNBA player to earn a coveted invite to the Met Gala. Brittany Griner was the first, attending last year with wife Sherelle. Wearing a dress made for her by British designer 16 Arlington, Reese spent the night at her 22nd birthday with a who's who of A-listers. Cardi B posted videos of the two of them together before returning to Chicago in time for Tuesday morning shoot-around. There was no way we as an organization were going to take that away from her, Weatherspoon said. It's a big thing. When you're called and asked to be a part of that, you better get your nice little outfit on and go. Get out of here and enjoy the moment because your name was called for a certain reason. You represent yourself well in what you do. They wouldn't have called you otherwise. This is something she earned, Weatherspoon added, and we're just excited about what she's going to continue to earn. And therein lies the crux of it. By taking advantage of these opportunities and growing her own spotlight, Reese shines in, shines it on everyone in the game. Next year, I want another rookie to go to the Met Gala. I want women's basketball players to be there. We deserve a spot, Reese said. So many people were yelling from the street, calling my name, calling me, Bayou Barbie, Chi-Town Barbie. It was cool just to be able to see I don't just impact people on the court, but off the court as well. That impact is already being felt in Chicago. This is a fan base reeling from the sky's inability to hang on to the team that won the title in 2021. But Reese has given them hope again. Her jerseys were sold out on the Sky's online store within days of her being drafted. Tuesday night's game was limited to season ticket holders, and new Chicago Bears quarterback Caleb Williams and fellow first-round pick Roma Dunze, and there were enough of them to fill most of the lower bowl at Trust Arena. It's huge, Courtney Vandersloot, a starter on that Sky Championship team before signing with the Liberty as a free agent last season, said of the importance of the WNBA of having a rejuvenated Chicago team. They're going to pack this house, and it's going to be a great place, and they're going to have eyes on them everywhere they go, Vandersloot added. It's all about growing the game and growing the league, and they're going to be at the forefront of that. Every time Reese scored or made a big defensive play, the crowd cheered and threw their fists into the air. When she made a driving layup over Jean-Quel Jones and drew a foul, the roar drowned out the PA announcer's cry of, Chi-Town Barbie! 
Reese finished with 13 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 steals in the Sky's 101-53 route of the New York Liberty. Whether these folks were WNBA fans before the season or not is irrelevant. They're invested now in Reese and the Sky, and by extension, the rest of the league. That's how you build on progress. That's how you take momentum and turn it into sustained growth. That's how you pay back all those women who came before you. Tiger needs open invite as time keeps marching on. When recency blasts Locks arms with the sporting idol and mixes with today's wall-to-wall media landscape, you get these things. Therefore, it's natural for anyone in a post-baby boomer generation to assume if Tiger Woods had never done it, it's never been done. And that's why so many folks have just become familiar with something called the special exemption, which has nothing to do with the tax code or even transferable student debt. Last week, the U.S. Golf Association offered Woods Woods Tiger an exemption into this year's U.S. Open, June 13th through the 16th, on historic number two course in the North Carolina hamlet of Pinehurst. The ever-hopeful legion of Tiger fans, as well as longtime onlookers, did a double-take at the headlines. What? Tiger Woods wasn't automatically eligible for the U.S. Open? It's been that long? Time flies, even when you're limping along. Of the four majors, the Masters and PGA Championship offer lifetime entries to past champs though they reserve the right to serve up an amen once a past champion's golfing acuum starts teetering towards self-embarrassment. Roughly a third of the 156-man field for the U.S. Open gets there through local and regional qualifiers. This is what makes it open, in quotes. But for the better established the Open has mainly, has mainly eligibility avenues, including a 10-year exemption for anyone winning the tournament. <clears throat> Tiger's 2008 U.S. Open victory exemption ended in 2018, but he maintained automatic entry for another five years with his 219 Masters win, which carried him through the 2023 U.S. Open, which was the third straight Open he'd skipped due to ongoing physical issues. And just like that, here we are in the ongoing unapologetic and undefeated march of Father Time. Tiger needs a special exemption. It's not like we were going to see him attempting the one-day 36-hole qualifier. While Tiger's universal fan base might be saddened a bit at reaching this unfortunate milepost, others will su- suggest this is nothing but a show of favoritism and quite likely just a nod to the broadcasting network and other promoters. Well, yeah, of course, and by the way, it's not the first time, or the last, most likely, the first special exemption went to four times Open champ Ben Hogan in 1966. His diehards insist he won five Opens, but that's another story for another day. It was 11 years before the USGA granted another, and in 77 they actually handed out three to Sam Sneed, Tommy Bolt, and Julius Boros. Arnold Palmer accepted the first of four straight exemptions in 1978, and Jack Nicholas would become a regular guarantee in the 90s. But Arnie, being Arnie, even when exemptions and automatic entries weren't available, he was the rare golfing god who wasn't above trying to earn his way into the championship 
through the grueling one-day qualifier. Hal Arney was shy of 40 and still winning tournaments when he made the Open through a qualifier in 1969. The King's successful qualifying effort was chronicled brilliantly in Sports Illustrated, remember that, by Curry Kirkpatrick. Thus, the biggest name in golf was forced to play 36 holes at McKeesport along a bunch of people, Harry Harold, Billy Capps, Herky Smith, those names sound like disc jockeys, and others who played out of place like the Host Farm Resort Motel. Arnie would finish sixth in that year's U.S. Open. Orville Moody made it his alone PGA Tour victory and maintained his yearly eligibility through 76, qualified again in 77, and began a four-year run of special exemptions in 78. After that, even deep into his 50s, he continued trying to qualify, through, though unsuccessfully. No one expects to see Tiger trudging through 36 holes of qualifying in the future. In fact, after watching his Saturday-Sunday struggles at the Masters, the gravediggers are back to bury his golfing future entirely. Is this the third or fourth time? But assuming Tiger can put a lick on Pinehurst's infamous turtleback greens, he has a couple of things on his side. June in Pinehurst is warm to hot, and, a, and the course is practically a boardwalk compared to, say, Augusta National, and its 1 through 18 elevation changes. Oh, there's some history on his side. Just a sliver, but still some history. In 1990, Hale Irwin was 11 years removed from his second U.S. Open victory when he accepted a special exemption. At 45, he became the oldest Open champ. Of course, it needs to be said, Irwin was a few years younger than Tiger, but more importantly, he was healthy and a PGA Tour rarity, an actual athlete who's been a two-time All-Big 8 defensive back at Colorado. At Medina in 90, Irwin also had to work 91 holes. An 18-hole Monday playoff with Mike Donald was forced to sudden death where Irwin won with birdie on the first hole. We'll know more about Tiger's appetite for major championship golf after next week's PGA Championship in Louisville, Kentucky, where the Valhalla Golf Club is blanketed by Kennedy Hardwoods, but hardly a walk in the park. I don't know why they, they make these people sound so old in golf. I, I don't know, but oh well. All right, Clark and Fever welcome WNBA move to charter flights. Indiana Fever coach Christy Sides remembers one specific time she and her team got caught up in commercial airline troubles. Really, she said, she tries to suppress it. I don't remember what airport, Sides said. I was trying to block that one out. Back when she was an assistant coach for the Chicago Sky between 2011 and 2016, the team was trying to make the second game of a back-to-back, but the plane was delayed, then delayed again and again, finally canceled. The team, coaches, and support staff had to sleep in the airport while waiting for a 6 a.m. flight. Then they played a game that night. But now, with WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert saying the league will start to use full charter flights for all 12 teams this season, commercial flight issues will be a thing of the past. It is incredible, Side said. I just sent a message out to the players last night when the news hit, just that this is what they deserve. They deserve this. And it changes everything. It changes their rest. It changes their rehab. Instead of getting up at, like, early in the morning to get here, then they don't have to practice at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the evening. It changes everything. With these new charter flights, the only thing they'll be losing out on is airline miles. I guess I'll have to book some extra flights, Fever Center Leah Boston joked. 
The league doesn't have a specific timeline yet for when charter flights will be available for all 12 teams. Engelbert said the program will be implemented as soon as we can logistically get planes and places, but added it could take up to a couple weeks or a month, meaning teams will likely start the regular season flying commercially. The Fever flew commercially from Indianapolis International Airport to Dallas-Fort Worth for their preseason game against the Dallas Wings last week, and they were met with fans wanting signatures and media taking videos. There were people in the airport like, oh my gosh, can we get signatures? Can we get your signatures? Boston said. And obviously you guys saw people like following us with a camera. But I mean, that's just what it is. We understand. So I'm really glad that we're taking these precautions, especially with Charter. Fever rookie sensation Caitlin Clark has been the main reason for a lot of the media attention the Fever has been getting recently. Pacers Sports and Entertainment beefed up its security during Fever Travel because of Clark's popularity, and she was the subject of a majority of the videos about the Fever's arrival in Dallas. Now, Clark and the Fever will have more privacy when they travel, and in the 27th year of the WNBA, it's been a long time coming. I'm just super excited for the players who have been in this league for a really long time and have really deserved this for years and years and years, Clark said. I'm just excited. I'm thankful at whatever point that is that it happens. It'll be great for us. It'll make recovery easier. It'll make travel easier. It just makes life a lot easier for a lot of people. I'm just very fortunate to come to this league and have this opportunity the first year that I'm here. Boston spent her rookie season flying to games commercially, a stark change from her four years at South Carolina, where she and the Gamecocks flew charter to every game. For the second-year center, who stands at six foot four, flying charter isn't only about security. It's about being able to stretch out on planes, get back home after games, and have extra time to rest. You play your game, you get back on that plane, and you get to sleep in your own bed, Boston said. That's really what you know we've been used to in college. So coming here and making that change, you know, is going to be great for us. Super team can lead to coaching job insecurity. This is written by Dana Scott. Suns Vogel, latest NBA coach to get fired while leading a star-studded lineup. In the NBA, the head coach of Super Team can quickly become a scapegoat if the team implodes without the expected fast success. Phoenix Suns coach Frank Vogel was among them after the team was swept out of the Western Conference's playoffs first-round playoff by the Minnesota Timberwolves, despite winning 49 games in his first year with the team. Vogel was fired on Thursday. It also was the first year of the Big Three, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal playing together. The 2023-24 Suns were an example of a roster built around three or more All-Stars via block buster trades and free agency drawing championship expectations when things don't work out it's easier to get rid of the coach than a star player who carries a hefty contract here are some more examples of the coaches fired from super teams that fell short over the past decade monty williams of the phoenix suns making the Suns relevant again in the tough West and league overall, plus Williams' personal achievements during his four years in Phoenix didn't matter when he was fired last year. Those achievements included a trip to the 2021 Finals, which Phoenix lost, and a record-setting 64 franchise wins the following year. He earned the 2021 MBCA Coach of the Year and the 2022 NBA Coach of the Year and had the third best winning percentage in Suns history, 0.628. After the Suns, under new owner Matt Ishbia, acquired Devin Durant from the Nets in February of 2023 to form their first version of the Big Three with Booker and Chris Paul, 
expectations soared, but Phoenix was demolished at home for the second straight year in a series, closing Game 6 of the game same round to eventually champ Denver in May of 2023. Williams was replaced by Vogel soon after. Steve Nash, Brooklyn Nets. The Suns legend and Hall of Famer Steve Nash was a rookie head coach in September 2020. He got the axe two years after that when the Brooklyn Nets' big three couldn't get over the hump in the postseason. James Harden, Kerry Irving, and Durant played just 17 regular season games together for the Nets with injuries a factor in Irving's league suspension in November of 2022 that resulted in eight games missed for posting an anti-Semitic video on social media. Brooklyn completed a four-team trade to get Harden from Houston, which included a whopping eight of Brooklyn's future first-round draft picks in exchange for him in January of 2021. In their first season together, they lost to the eventual 2021 champion, Milwaukee Bucks, in the East semifinals. Game 7, after the Nets took 2-0 and 3-2 series leads. The next season, the Nets were swept out of the first round by Boston. Durant demanded a trade in 2022 and gave an ultimatum to either upload his trade request or have Nash and Nets GM Sean Marks fired. Durant ultimately rescinded his trade request shortly before training camp, but Nash and the team agreed to part ways on November 1st, 2022. He finished with a 94-67 record. Adrian Griffin, Milwaukee Bucks. Griffin was fired in January, seven months after he got the job, to replace former coach Mike Budenholzer, who was canned after the Bucks lost in the first round as a top seed number eight, Miami, in the 2023 playoffs. That was two years after Budenholzer led Milwaukee to its first world title in 50 years. In September of 2023, the Bucks completed a three-team trade in which they got all-star Damian Lillard from Portland to have him join their two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo and three-time all-star Chris Middleton. When Griffin was let go, 30-13 to 13 was the number one social media trend and reaction to the news because the Milwaukee's record at the time as a top three team in the East. There were multiple reports that he lost respect for the players and refused to, uh, who refused to listen to him in team huddles during games. Anton Con... Con uh, Poe, I'm going to spell this out, A-N-T-E-T-O-K-O-U-N-M-P-O, said he was surprised by the decision but had to trust the front office, in quotes, toward winning a title. Griffin was replaced by Doc Rivers, and the Bucks were eliminated on May 2nd as a number three seed to number six Indiana in the first round. Doc Rivers, Philadelphia 76ers. Rivers coached Philadelphia for three seasons to replace Brett Brown after their 2020 playoff run ended in the first round. Once the 76ers got Harden after his trade request from Brooklyn in February of 2022, their title odds spiked as he was paired with last season's MVP, Joel Embiid. Rivers, who won the 2008 title as the Boston Celtics coach and coached the Los Angeles Clippers for seven years thereafter, added to his unfavorable history of Game 7 last year. The 76ers, which uh, 
finished as the East number three seed, were blown out by his former team, Boston, in the decisive series closer after they held a 3-2 series lead. Rivers was fired two days later. Mike Brown, L.A. Lakers. Mike Brown was hired by the Lakers in May of 2011 after Phil Jackson's final season with the team. After they had a 41-25 record under him, and were eliminated in the second round in the following year. The Lakers made massive trades for five All-Stars. They acquired Dwight Howard from Orlando and Nash from Phoenix to group them with Cole Bryant, Paul Gasol, and Meta World Peace. The team didn't win any of its eight preseason games and had a 1-4 to four start under Brown before his departure, which is the third Fastest coaching change in recent league history. Well, now it's time to switch over to Dear Abby. And uh, we'll start out with the title, Husband Acknowledges Affair But Not Everything Adds Up. Dear Abby, my husband had an affair I found out about after seeing a motel charge on our bank account. I asked, and he confessed it was an old-school sweetheart. I asked how long it was going on. He said two years. He then called her and told her I knew. He told me he had told her if I ever found out it was over for them. When I got on the phone with her, she said she, he was lying and their affair had been going on for 20 years. He invited her to his mom's visitation when she passed. He invited her to other things as well. Now she no longer wants him because he is a liar, and he expects me to go back to the way it was. I don't know if there's time to go through it all. He also had an affair with someone at his work. He said it was one, uh, just a one-nighter. Who knows? I'm having such trouble with this and all the things they did together. My husband didn't do anything with me. He skipped funerals, weddings, and then engagements. I was going everywhere alone. People always asked where he was, and I always had to say working. <clears throat> the way things are now, it's not comfortable. He doesn't care. He just wants his way and not let anyone else in the family know. It's been two years, and it's still fresh in my mind. I don't know what to do. Counseling hasn't helped. He wants to forget everything. I'm going crazy. How do you trust after that? Signed, Lost Faith in Missouri. Dear Lost Faith, you are not crazy. You are married to a lying, narcissistic womanizer. For you to forget everything might require a lobotomy. Are you willing to do that? Don't answer too quickly. Some people would rather do anything than be alone. I think it would benefit you to discuss this with a licensed mental health professional. Talk with your friends and your family as well. You need all the support they can give you. Your husband has plenty to be ashamed about. A marriage without trust is no marriage at all. If you were to separate, your life would not be much different than it already is. It might even be better. From what you have written, you have already been alone for a very long time. I'm Mark Morrison, and my partner at the microphone has been Peggy Ernst. We're coming back for the rest of the Dear Abby after our little break. So hang in there. We're coming back.